Hello and a very warm welcome to the 2023 World Retail Congress Hall of Famer inductee Mark Pooch. Mark is the chairman and CEO of Pooch, which was founded in 1914 by his grandfather. After studying for an MBA at Harvard, Mark joined Antonio Pooch as Director of Research and Development and New Product Development, and in 1996 was appointed President of Pooch in the US, returning to Barcelona in 2001 to take the position of President of the Fashion Division. Mark is the architect of the company's transformation as a major force in the global fragrance fashion luxury sector, a worthy recipient of being inducted into the World Retail Congress Hall of Fame in 2023. Well, Mark, thank you very much indeed for joining me. It's a, it's a pleasure to have you and uh, many congratulations for being inducted into the Retail Hall of Fame for the World Retail Congress. My father was an engineer and he was uh, desperately upset that neither my sister or I followed in his uh, footsteps because he was always convinced that whatever you did in life, engineering would help you achieve it. So you studied engineering. How does engineering uh, help you in your retail career, Mark? Well, your father will be happy to know that I coincide with his thinking because it was not my intention to work as an engineer uh, in my youth uh, in Barcelona, engineering had a good reputation as the basis for a good analytical discipline mind. And that's what attracted me uh, to uh, study engineering, knowing that they will not be or was not inclined to work as engineer. So in that sense, uh, your father's words uh, seem to be coinciding with what I was thinking. Well, we all go to retail stores, both as, I suppose, in our professional lives and also as consumers. I'm very intrigued, Mark, uh, as to which retail stores have influenced you uh, along your journey. I can think of moments in my life where the you know discovery of a store format or a, or a new, uh, you know, impacted me that I still remember today. And, you know, I can go through several examples, but I remember the first time I entered a Sephora store in France, the, the look and feel of the merchandise in the industry we were playing was a totally new, it was a departure on anything that we had seen before. That was like, wow, I thought, this is impactful. Or I remember the first time I entered a, a Nordstrom store in the U.S., the way the service you were receiving, because I didn't know anything about Nordstrom's before entering that. And I had this amazing experience, you know, trying new shoes, wherever it was, and, and I had to change a shirt that I had, somebody had given to me. And then when they told me, no, no, it's Nordstrom's is precisely known for this service and, they, and I said, gosh, clearly it's, you know, when, when you put a priority and a focus on organization, you can make it happen. And, and that was uh, an example for me in this case, you know, when they chose service as their, or one of their priorities. I can think of other moments that um, the first time I entered a Marnie store in Paris or when I attended the Prada 
inauguration in Tokyo, in uh, I was I had goosebumps. The aesthetic impact at that moment in time was something that I still can remember today. No? So there, oh, and I can think of uh, when they inaugurated also the Palacio de Hierro in Polanco. The sheer size of that store in the luxury world was something that. Um, uh, you also have an image in my mind and, and a recollection of that moment. So those are maybe examples I can share with you. And what is it, Mark, do you think about the retail environment that has that capacity to impact all of your senses? I don't know. I think we, we are a, you know human beings. are a social animal. And people like to even spend time just to shopping around because they... Uh, they are in the mood of experiences I get. And, I, and, and somehow uh, we have maybe all our senses alert <laughs> when we go shopping. And so maybe that's why I have these memories of boost pumps, that sensorial or uh, experiences. Uh, I have not, you know, not thought about the precise answer for that. I just can relate some of the experiences I have had, yes. Retail fulfills all sorts of roles. It performs a, a very functional role. It also fulfills an emotional role. But equally, it has a role to play in society. What role do you think retail has to play within the wider society? Well, in, in some cases, a way that also that you know people interact with their communities. You no, know, I, I can think you know you're in Barcelona. One of the things we have in in Barcelona, for instance, is this these local markets uh, where they're protected because otherwise they might disappear with more modern uh, formats. But they're protected because it's it's where people even go on a daily basis or, or on a regular basis to inter you know to get out of home and to interact with people they know, and uh, it's, it's an experience to see. I, probably it's not the most efficient way of retailing. That's why they are protected. But it it proves that it's one of the roles that, you know, one of the reasons why human beings like to live in communities because they need to interact with each other, and that's a place to make it happen too. Of course, during the pandemic period, Mark, um those social interactions were few and far between. From an operator's perspective and from a retailer's perspective, uh, and clearly running a very successful company, what did running a business during the pandemic teach you that you're still putting in place today? Like Probably like many other uh, companies, we had a big impact during the pandemic for many different reasons. And it goes beyond... The fact that our business, you know, really stopped and, and we had to stop factories and stop launches and stop initiatives. But we, we were in, in a process of big transformation at the same time. But to me, one thing that uh, I learned afterwards is that during the pandemic, the pandemia, um, in order to get or to send a message to the organization that was confined at home and with probably lots of uncertainties and we operate in you know more than 30 countries so it's difficult to I, I used to send regular messages trying to just explain how things were going how we saw things and, and what we were doing and I was not aware of the impact that those messages had in people 
And I only learned afterwards. And you realize that the use of words and the timing of those messages can have a tremendous impact on, on an organization that can be of, you know, several thousand people at moments of uncertainty and fear sometimes and crisis, basically. So that's that's a lesson, yeah. Mark, you, you run a very successful business and, uh, as you've just said, across multi-countries and regions across the world. From a developing a business that is strong, what type of core skills around you in your core team do you look for to help you support and develop the business? You know, I've been now in 19, you know, nearly 20 years CEO of this company. And what I find is that we have been able to put together um, a combination of very creative people and at the same time, uh, a group of people that are proud of belonging to this project and which has as a consequence a willingness of working together and and help each other in ways that to me seem natural because that's what I've seen most of my life or professional life. But when people come from other companies, they tell you this is not the normal way of functioning. So this combination of creativity on one side and willing to break molds and, and change the way things are done and surprise consumers in a group that is very willing to share and to support each other. Um, you know, with, of course, we all have some issues here and there, but in general, a, a common thread that is apparently uh, not common. Now, in those years, I think you probably should get a, a medal for being a CEO for for that long. But in those well, years, it's, it's a it's a family business. So, <laughs> maybe. so it's, a, it's a it's fact, a, a responsibility as as well, well as the, as well as the job. <laughs> the fact that the last name uh, happens to be the same than the company name, maybe it helped. But you know, <laughs> well, we'll come back to that a little bit later. I think <laughs> um, the space you operate in, the luxury space, has changed sort of considerably over the. 20 years or so that you've been the CEO of the company. Um, How would you define what a luxury brand is today? And looking into your crystal ball, um, where do you think luxury is going in the future? Well, I believe that there's several things have happened. You know, one is that the world is, it has improved its, you know, the level of, you know, disposable income for a very large number of people, as many people you know, were lifted from the poverty into lower middle class, middle class, etc. And once you uh, satisfy your, you know, certain basic needs, I believe there's a need for people to either on one side gain confidence and feel with the strength to face the world and the challenges that we have. And that's one of the reasons, one of the things that I think luxury brands do, because for some people it's a way to, you know, strengthen their own confidence because they they feel associated with, you know, a certain image, a certain world, a certain way of looking at the world. The other thing that luxury 
brands do also, and it's help people express themselves. You know? I I want to be associated with a brand because I, I, I belong to this tribe that, uh, again, sees the world in a certain way or another. And to me, this is something that, um, if anything, has been emphasized, particularly after COVID. The, the fact that for so many months, we were not able to socialize, we were not able to leave our homes, uh, and we were not able to, you know, human beings are uh, a social animal. I think we, we need to live in communities and to socialize. And the fact that for a few months we have not, we were confined at home and something that we gave as a given has been challenged means that once again we have been able to socialize, anything that goes with the socialization and, um, you know, luxury brands associated with the way you present yourself to others, the way you express yourself, so you need the confidence to go out, has been lifted. The question some of us have, is this just a momentum after we go again to the uh, same, you know, mental thinking that we were before COVID, or this is here to last. And for the time being, seems to be lasting. You know, it's been already three years, and there's, you know, even with the crisis that we are living today, um, luxury brands or lo- seems to be still a priority for many consumers, and they seem to be sacrificing our expenses in front of the possibility to cut their uh, luxury, uh, you know, production. So, um, I believe that this it, it have, will have lasting consequences. COVID left a big mark on people in the, because we were not able to leave home. That's that's the freedom of even going out of your own home. That's that's a terrible thing that happened, I believe. So I have, I think it will have lasting consequences. And within that context, Mark. How do you see consumers changing going forward? I mean, if you look at the, across the geographies that you operate in, there must be a lot of uh, consumer change on the horizon in different ways. Well, we've seen... The, take, take one of the categories we are very involved with, fragrance. Um, for 10 years, in the number one market in the world, that was the US, we had a flat, low single-digit growth market. And... COVID comes, market falls, evidently. And then after COVID, it went up 30% and stayed there. You know, we were asking ourselves, is this because people are just, did empty their bathroom while they were in confinement and now they want to buy back? So is it going to be a blip to compensate? No, it's been three years and we have not seen that going down. You know, fragrance is one of the products, clearly, that one uses when has interactions with others uh, and and when people socialize so i believe that uh, to me is a is a covid you know post covid world there were certain categories and and many or of luxury categories are affected by that that will uh, that will benefit from this mood that we are seeing in people after covid yeah now you operate in different areas with different brands in different markets. How do you assess which brands 
you want to have a relationship with, maybe even an investment uh, in. What's your criteria for either selecting for associations, alliances, uh, and investments? Well, number one, they have to be in the in the world that we operate, evidently, no? so it's fashion uh, or beauty, any beauty category now that uh, is part of our portfolio. But we are very proud of the portfolio that we have been able to curate no? or edit somehow. And whether the brand is small or big, we really want to make sure that the brand has a reason of being, has a differentiation or differentiated proposition, that there is authenticity behind this brand. And rather than look at the category, rather than look at, okay, we are, you know, it will make our position stronger in a certain category, or, or we really want to make sure that the brand it has a story to tell that can appeal to a certain pool of consumers you know, that can be very much devoted. So that's why we say we are a home of love brands uh, because we really try to edit uh, or select very carefully the brands that we are associated with. You use the word curate. Yes. Um, what is the art of curation in in that context, what are you trying to assemble and curate as a as as your house? Uh, as I said, no. There's even you know we have now a, a portfolio of around seventeen brands, and some of these brands, when we first got involved with them, they were brands that were I don't know a little tired, they were dusty, they had uh, had better times in the past, and we choose to partner with those brands because we believe that there is opportunity to revitalize and bring an, uh, you know, a consistent uh, proposition that is consistent with the wall that this brand represents, but maybe uh, was not necessarily relevant for today's world. And we, uh, we have the, we be, the belief that we can, we can do so. So some brands have that, Others, they simply are extremely, you know, we were involved uh, last year. One of the brands that we uh, took a majority position is Bairedo. It's, you know, a very modern, up-to-date, cool, and it is, we believe that we can help them grow to the next stage. But when we say curate is, is the selection, I mean, Sometimes brands come to us and want to partner and we, we, we don't see the strength of the proposition or the DNA and then we're not interested. Others, uh, you may have an auction and, and we like the, the idea of that brand and, and not necessarily you, you, know, you win that process. No? But overall, when you look at our portfolio, each one of those brands has a differentiated, clear story that makes us proud of uh, partnering with it. So that's why we say curate. It's not just by chance or by luck or by, because you were there. It's, it's a carefully chosen selection of brands that we want to be associated with. Now, one of the common threads across lots of categories these days, including uh, the luxury and fashion space, is consumers increasingly making choices based on sustainability criteria. Is sustainability and luxury something that is compatible? Well, I, I believe it should be. 
clearly we were not there yet, probably. Uh, one of our, you know, in our company, you know, we are a family business, and well, I think probably we'll talk about this later. So I'm going to just go to the end of what I wanted to say here. We want to, we say that we want to leave a better world for the next generation because if we don't do so, we know our our kids, the next generation, uh, we have told them they will not work in the company. And if we don't make them proud of what we do, the the risk is that they would just say, okay, if I cannot work in this company and I'm not proud of what you do and or how you do it, uh, I'm going to sell the shares and, you know, it will disappear as a uh, as a family business that has gone at least up to now until the third generation. So we're very aware that this millennial generation, which is Gen Z, that is our kids, they are, we have to be very serious about um, what we do. And we have, that's why the mandate we have from the family, that I have from the family, is that we, in any activity we're involved, we're, we're going to be at the forefront of sustainability. So, yes, uh, we're taking this very seriously. Are we there yet? No. But the, the intensity and the willingness of sectors, you know, whether it is you know, European community directives, peer pressure, uh, willingness by companies to really make, uh, you know, change the way things are done. I believe we're going to go maybe not as fast as the world would like, but I'll, I believe in the power of imagination and I'm sure that there are going to be solutions that today we have, cannot even imagine and they will come um, soon. So I'm optimistic. Now, the uh, world of retail moves fast, and uh, it's impossible at the moment to pick up uh, a newspaper without seeing another breakthrough in an element of artificial intelligence. Looking forward, what do you think artificial intelligence is going to bring to and impact the business of retailing, retailers and brand building? Yeah, I, I I can only say that probably we're only scratching the surface and I cannot even imagine what's going to happen knowing that every day, as you say, we, uh, we, find, we find out a new uh, you know, step that somebody has been able to do or with AI. So, I, yeah, I cannot, I, I don't have a vision uh, at this point. I'm just very curious uh, to see how things evolve. Yeah. Yes, I, th- I think we are. The, uh, the The future is not what it used to be. I think that's uh, for sure when artificial intelligence um, is applied to it. You operate in the physical, the virtual world. Are you an optimist or a pessimist about the role of physical retail in the future? No, I am. I am optimistic. I, I, there's a phrase I, I like uh, oftentimes when people say that human beings need to live in community so that they can fight with a neighbor. No? So it's a, it's a, <laughs> so we, we need this interaction with, with people. And it's true that, uh, you know, what percentage or what penetration will digital world have? I don't know. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be, you know, it, we're seeing already a little bit of a, of a plateauing right now. Is that going to go, keep going after the COVID effects go away? Maybe or, or maybe not, but I do believe that people do, you know, need to interact with other people, and retailing is one way of doing that. So I am optimistic. Your business was founded by your family, bears the name of uh, your grandfather. What responsibilities 
does that put on your shoulder in terms of how you leave the business for future generations? Well, one, the, the fact that there is a family associated with this business for three generations means that there are certain ways of doing that uh, we want to maintain that has characterized uh, this company. And the mandate I have from my generation family members is to take the baton from the prior generation, build a business while we keep a certain value system, a certain way of behaving, a certain way of, of you know, treating people, uh, caring about our communities, uh, uh, so that one day we can pass the baton to the next generation. So that's the responsibility uh, I feel now. And, and we're 100 and whatever, 100 and now eight or nine years old. So in that period, you have ups and downs. And I have felt uh, during my tenure moments where uh, you know, there is a say that say first generation of family members or you know, family businesses grow the business, the second generation expand, and the third uh, destroy it. Lose it all, yeah. <laughs> so I've had, I've had at moments <laughs> in the past fears uh, of, gosh, am I going to be the generation that really destroyed this? So um, I felt the responsibility and I was brought up with a sense of responsibility that I can assure you um, I feel on my shoulders. We have not done that bad, so I think that that's okay. But I, and and so the fourth generation is looking good then. Is, is there a problem? I'll you know <laughs> I'll you know I'll soon I'll pass it. At, at my baton. I'll be happy then. I suppose within that context, and I have to ask you, what what is it that motivates you? Well, clearly, you know, this idea of taking the baton and growing a business. Uh, you know, I took over from you know, from my father at some point, and those were big shoes to fill. So just the fact that uh, um, I have been able to decently, let's say, build this business, it's already, a, okay, that motivates me. <laughs> <laughs> but I happen to be, you know, I used to be a sports athlete in my youth. You know, competition is always something that um, makes me kick, let's say. And any challenge that presents an inter intellectual Mm, problem, let's say, or, or it's always, I always like those things. Yes. So there's a mission for the next, you know, to bring the torch in the next, for the next generation, this competition and intellectual challenge. Those are the things that maybe motivate me. So in that uh, quest for handing that baton to the next generation in a way that has created an interesting business. Where do you look for new ideas and for new inspirations that can be the foundations, stones of uh, a growing business to handle? Well, I like I like people that can find solutions or answers that are not obvious and, and that may come from, I don't know, looking at other sectors, problems, industries, whatever, uh, challenges that are not necessarily yours or the same than you than you have, but that are able to find in other areas, you know, it's a parallel thinking, you know, in, in try finding other areas, solutions that you can then apply in a different way in yours. So that brings not the 
you know, I think like different breaking molds and obvious solutions. I think those are the, uh, I guess that that's where I like to see people or, or myself finding new ideas. Yeah. Now many uh, young people are entering the workforce around the world and thinking about uh, what career or uh, what they should study or maybe leave school and go straight to work. What advice would you give them about a career in retailing, in beauty, in luxury? I think retailing is uh, more than more than luxury or, or brands. It's a, um, a business that requires everyday attention. On one side, is very short-term focus. You know, you, whenever you talk to a retailer, how things go, well, last week it rained. Or, or there was... Nowadays, it's last hour we did this. Yeah, yeah. They, no, there was a, you know, there was a, whatever, there was a holiday uh, that they didn't have last year. So, of course, they are very much in short-term and then when there's a problem, they need to fix it right away. At the same time, um, the, to me, the challenge is, okay, how do you focus on the short-term and... And at the same time, look look at the long term. You know, you have a vision and you have a path that you want to follow. How do you are able to maintain those two levels of, in terms of timing of, of uh, dimensions? And and that's I think that's how you can make change. You no, know? and 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 it requires a certain discipline and a certain um, mindset that I find uh, very attractive for young people. You no, know? and. I know that today digital and startups and, and all these things are, are very appealing for the youth, but the retail world is is a good learning path for anybody uh, because of this, among other things, because of these requirements. Now, as a, uh, a CEO, you're able to effect change within your organization, but uh, if you could be a magician and have one wish and uh, one wish could change the world to make the world a better place, Mark. What would that wish be? Well, I already have a big work to do because the mission of Pooh, which is now we are a home of love brands that help people strengthen their confidence, help their self-expression so we make people's life better. At the same time, the, the, we live a, a better world for the next generation. And if I can make good of this mission, uh, I think we'll have contributed a little bit to a better world. And that's uh, already occupies a big part of my time. <laughs> yeah. Well, Mark Pooch, thank you so much uh, for joining me. It's been a, a pleasure and a delight to speak with you. And uh, many congratulations uh, once again. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you.